Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. This is Alex. It is March the 21st of 2022. It is Monday morning, which means, yes, we're going to talk about the markets. We're going to talk about big tech. We're going to talk about startups. There's lots to get through today. So strap in. Let's have some fun. We're going to start, as always, with the markets. Over in Asia, Japanese stocks are up, Chinese stocks are flat, and shares in Hong Kong are down. Over in the European Union, shares are generally higher, though with some variation. And domestically here in the United States, stocks are mixed to flat this morning. Now, there's a couple of big news items that I'm going to flag for you just in case you see them elsewhere. But Berkshire Hathaway is buying insurance giant Allegheny for $11.6 billion. Russian bond yields are spiking as they began to trade again. Keep an eye on that. And a passenger plane went down in China, a tragedy, but also probably something that's going to impact transit stocks and plane manufacturers. Looking over in the world of crypto, not too much going on this morning, but I will say that Bitcoin and ETH both had a good last week with Bitcoin up 6% and ETH up 13% over the last seven days. And as a final little markets caveat, NFT volume per OpenSea doesn't seem set to report a very good month. And so we are actually seeing the NFT slowdown that we thought we might see earlier in March. What that means for the future, I leave to you, but that's the data. The big news this morning from the world of technology and software and money is that private equity firm Tama Bravo is going to buy Anaplan for $10.7 billion, or about $66 per share. Now, what is Anaplan? Well, it's a huge company that makes financial planning software and was public. Now, according to Anaplan itself, quote, the offer represents a premium of approximately 46% to its volume-weighted average price, or essentially a 50% markup on where it was trading before the deal. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, Anaplan is going to be used as a platform for more acquisitions. So perhaps it's kind of the start of a SaaS roll-up from Tom Bravo. But I was really curious about the deal itself. Is it expensive? Was it cheap? What can we learn from it? Well, I went ahead and pulled Anaplan's Q4 earnings, and the company had approximately $163 million in revenue, up about 33% in Q4. Now, if you run all the numbers, it works out to essentially a 16x Q4 run rate multiple, which is really not bad at all. In fact, it's kind of rich. So the deal, just kind of from where I'm sitting, from my first impressions, feels kind of bullish. And because the deal itself wasn't cheap, it could actually be really good news for other software deals. Now, why is that? Well, there's lots of money out there in private equity today dry powder, as they call it. So big deals like this won't be super uncommon if things are affordable. And we have seen the value of many software companies drop in recent months. So lots of cash, cheaper prices, sounds like a recipe for deals. Now, who else could be in the mix for a possible buyout? Now, this is not the list any company wants to be on. Every company wants to be fast growing, super profitable and independent. Uh, They're not all like that, though. So a couple of ideas, Uh, Dropbox, DocuSign, Amplitude, maybe. There are a couple names you could throw in the mix that have suffered from public market declines and are quite valuable. So we'll see. On the other hand, media analytics group Nielsen Holdings just turned down a buyout offer. So not everyone is going to say yes when money comes knocking. But I will say last year we had many IPOs. Maybe this year we're going to see many acquisitions. More to come. Before we get to startups, let's take a quick stop in the world of mega unicorns. Now, if you watch Formula One, you might have spied FTX branding on the Mercedes cars. Well, the company is back in the news today for launching in Australia. And if you don't know FTX, it's a global crypto trading platform, kind of like Coinbase. Now, this is not the first time that FTX has set up shop in a single country. FTX US has existed for some time, for example. And according to BlockWorks, quote, the move by FTX to move into Australia is in lockstep with other major exchanges, including Binance and Kraken, 
who already set up domestic presence in the last two years. So essentially, we have seen other companies also move to Australia. I will note here that FTX is also in both the EU and the UAE. Some crypto companies are crushing their domestic markets, while others are going broader. Coinbase, for example, says that it's in more than 100 countries. Here's my question. Do regional players survive or do they get eaten? If the latter, who winds up being the most busy and when? And will being a public company be an advantage in a future crypto trading platform rollup? After all, if you're public, you have liquid stock and maybe more cash. Time will tell. I'm also curious to know when this happens. If there is a rollup in crypto trading, will it come before or after a crypto winter or a period of time when crypto activity hits a local minimum? Regardless, FTX has lots of money and is rather busy. Lots of startup news this morning. We have two funding rounds and a bit of a snapshot into what's going on for Russian entrepreneurs. According to our own Rita Liao, talent is leaving Russia. She writes the following. Russia is seeing an exodus of entrepreneurs, computer programmers, as well as other educated middle-class citizens as Western sanctions and political instability make it impossible to run an international business in the country. And what she did was she talked to a couple of founders who are dealing with this directly, one of whom was Eugene Konash of London-based gaming studio DC Lab that has quite a lot of staff in Russia. And according to her reporting, quote, investors told Eugene in no uncertain terms that a startup would be uninvestable if it continued to have such a heavy presence in Russia. His Russia-based team agreed it was time to leave. So essentially what we are seeing here is that investor pressure could choke off capital to Russian startups or companies that have a lot of employees in Russia, leading to essentially a negative loop. Less capital, well, more fear, more fear, less capital. This is not the first time, however, that companies in Russia or that have a heavy presence in the country have had to deal with a complex geopolitical landscape. Rita reports that, quote, after the invasion of Crimea seven years ago, many Russian-built companies began to incorporate elsewhere in a bid to placate investors with qualms over the political risks and optics associated with backing Russian companies. However, if that was a trimmer, this is a real earthquake. And so we could actually be seeing kind of the start of the end of the Russian entrepreneurial landscape from a tech perspective for some time. Turning to a couple of interesting funding rounds this morning, let's start with Powered by People, a wholesale e-commerce platform based in Kenya with hubs in the Americas, Asia, and Europe that just raised $5 million in seed funding. Now, what does it want to do? Well, it wants to increase its transaction volumes by growing the number of brands using its B2B online marketplace to reach international buyers. All of that, according to our own Annie Njanja, who wrote about it for TechCrunch. So who was in the round? Well, Suza Ventures, Golden Ventures, and notably Flexport Ventures. I guess that our riff that more firms are building CVZs is correct because I hadn't heard of Flexport Ventures, and now I have. The company has now raised a total of $7 million. How far has it gotten with that total capital raise? Well, it recorded an annualized run rate of $15 million in total GMV in kind of mid-March and expects to grow that number to about $25 million before the end of the year. Now, because everything in the world is fintech, well, powered by people is as well. The company also extends up to 50% advanced financing to traders, essentially a 120-day credit facility at a 5% rate, and it has lent out $5.8 million thus far, expecting to reach $10 million by the end of the year. Debt is very profitable. Wholesale e-commerce platforms might not have the world's best gross margins, so why not throw a little fintech in there? Everyone else is doing it. And finally, from our startup section this morning, Commerce IQ, which just raised a $115 million Series C and is now worth more than $1 billion. What does it do? Well, it provides essentially software for e-commerce companies. And I didn't know really kind of what that meant. So I did a little research. I went to the company's website and poked around and didn't learn much. But here's a couple of things. It does retail operations management, which appears to be some sort of automation. It also does digital shelf analytics, which sounds like a fake product, but I'm sure is actually real. 
Anywho, the company claims it can help customers grow about 18% on average. It works with 2,200 brands and it just raised last June. So this is a pretty quick round. In fact, the company has now raised $175 million in the last year, nearly all of the roughly $196 million it has raised to date. Even more interestingly, SoftBank's Vision Fund 2 led the round and the company's growth looks pretty good. Last year, it grew its revenue 106% year over year and saw 113% growth in customers over the same time frame. Now, we don't have baseline numbers, so it's a little hard to tell, but generally speaking, that's what you want to see from a company raising nine figures at a 10-figure price. Coming towards the end here, here's a question. When is an accelerator not an accelerator? Because this morning, TechCrunch reports that venture capital giant Sequoia is building a, quote, catalyst, not an accelerator, not an incubator, it's a catalyst. But it will be cohort-based, 15 startups, eight weeks, focused on, quote, outlier founders. Each company gets a million dollars in funding, London-based to start, mostly remote, lots of mentorship, very hands-on. Sounds like an accelerator or an incubator, if you will. It's a catalyst. This is a little bit like when Drake said he was going to put out playlists, not albums. Feels a bit like a semantic difference, if you ask me. Anyways, the context here is that everyone wants to go earlier in the venture capital game. This $15 million in capital they're going to expend, meh, sounds like a lot, but it's actually very, very cheap. If even one of these startups does well, Sequoia will do fine. So it's kind of a neat model. And if it works, expect copycats, but it's an accelerator. So it's not like we haven't seen this before, right? And that is our show for this Monday morning. Do not forget that Equity is on Twitter, where we tweet under the handle EquityPod. My name is Alex. I tweet under the handle Alex. And this week is our live recording. So if you want to hang out with the Equity crew, we're going to be recording live on Thursday. We'll be on Hopin. We'll be on Twitter Spaces. We'll be all around the internet. We'll have notes about that in the show post. Uh, it's a good fun time. Come hang out with us. And also, as a small little addition this morning, thanks to Grace for producing the show and also for putting up with my errors this morning. There were a few of them. All right. See you soon. Bye.